clarity, connection, authenticity. I'm Alexa Ray, former mental health clinician turned life coach. I quit my full-time career because I was sick of working in a healthcare system where people were not getting the help they needed to actually shift and there were so many gaps present. I am shaking up the mental health game to help women reconnect to their authentic selves and rewrite their story from who they think they should be to who they want to be. In Authentically You, we'll be talking about all things that limit us from connecting to our authentic self. Trauma, self-worth, self-esteem, relationships, communication, addiction, self-compassion, body image, disordered eating, anxiety, challenging beliefs, all of these things. Bottom line is, I want this to help you feel seen, to help you feel safe, heard, and validated. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Authentically You. I have a really, I always say I have a special guest, but um, this is a funny, funny situation because my guest and I went to high school together and um, we weren't friends, but you know, I knew you who you were. You knew who I was, I'm sure. And uh, now we are both adults and doing our thing. And so I'm really excited because I also think I'm going to be learning a lot in this episode myself. And so I have Megan Craker Correct me if I said that wrong. That's right. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, And she is living in Dryden, Ontario, which is our hometown, actually. Um, And she's moved back there recently. But anyway, I, I she is a functional nurse practitioner um, or like functional medicine nurse practitioner and a health coach as well. And so, Megan, I always like to just open the floor up so you can do a better job at explaining who you are and what you do. Yeah. So it's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Alexa. It is neat to read. We were just talking before we started about how it's cool to reconnect and how our paths can align like that. So yeah, I am a nurse practitioner. So basically nurse practitioners in Ontario, um, we work as uh, RNs with extended scope. So additional training um, to be able to do things like prescribing medication, diagnosing, ordering different tests. But as I transitioned into that role as a nurse practitioner, working in the traditional allopathic system, I realized so many limitations and I started doing some functional medicine training, which is basically a systems biology approach. So looking at all the systems and how they work together and how that relates to our health and finding the answers, like the root of the problem. So instead of just saying, here, this is your diagnosis and here's your treatment being mostly a medication. It's like, here's your diagnosis, but why is this happening and how can we correct this? So that really spoke to me. Um, I think we all have stories of things that have happened with our health where we just feel like we don't get the answers that we need or the direction that we need. And I think especially women, um, a lot of the time, different hormone problems, things stemming from our gut health. Um, for almost everybody, there's things stemming from gut health, but um, I can't count the number of times that I see women come in with different hormone problems, energy problems, you know, menopause, perimenopause, and just being told like, oh, well, you know, here's a medication or that's just the way it is, but it doesn't have to be like that. So that's where I decided I wanted to get my functional medicine certification. And then I opened my own private practice um, as a functional nurse practitioner. So providing services to um, clients in Ontario. And then I've also extended to work with another group of women through Jen Pike in the Hormone Project, which is a great team of women that offer really great services, um, the Hormone Project. And then we also are, offer different testing packages and various services. But 
it's become such a huge passion for me. So I'm excited to share a little bit about it today. Oh, that's so cool. It makes me a little emotional. I'm like, you know, you're just like, I'm so proud of you <laughs> for, <laughs> for doing your thing. Um, and it sounds like obviously you, this is extremely passionate for you. Just the, the amount of education you've got in the, in the field itself, it, it explains it in itself, but I just want to clarify. So functional medicine, like you said, is just the systems and how everything is working together and getting to the root of the issue. I just want to make sure. Yeah, exactly. That. So lots of people will think, oh, like I'm a naturopath or um, something like that. But I mean, there are naturopaths that have functional medicine training, but my training, I understand the traditional medical system, but I've gone to dig deeper to like, understand it's a lot of like our physiology and, you know, understanding, okay, if this is going on in the gut, how is this going to impact your hormones? If this is happening with your hormones, how is this going to impact your skin, like, you know, the, basically the flow of things. So I'm always looking at what's the downstream, you know, result of what's happening in our body. Yeah. And it's like, that sounds like such a complex process to go through, which, um, I, I do want to, before we hop into like, you know, talking about the good stuff is like, what are the limitations that you feel are holding people back from getting the answers that they need or, or, you know, from understanding what they actually need to get to the root of the issue? Well, I feel like a lot of the limitation is, I mean, for us in Ontario, you know, there is that limitation of, I mean, we're really lucky. We have free healthcare. That's how we're, we've been brought up to think of things, but, mm -hmm. um, sometimes our free healthcare is actually a little bit more like sick care, right. Where we're taking care of, if we have something really wrong going on, but if you're just wanting to optimize your health and improve things. It, you can often be put up with like a brick wall. You go to your um, medical appointment and basically are just, you know, told, oh, your labs are normal. You know what? Our reference range for our labs are very big. So mm. normal is not optimal, right? So thinking beyond that. So I find that's a big limitation and our medical system, we just, unfortunately, there just isn't that much time in yeah. an appointment. You go to an appointment that's like what, seven, 15 minutes. And how are you going to get through all of your concerns and allow your practitioner to really understand what's happening? Mm -hmm. And then how are they going to even have the time to educate you on things that you can do beyond a medication? Right. So right. I think that's a huge limitation. So one of the things I do with my clients is our first visit is always an hour. So nice. giving enough time to actually understand what's happening. And I don't just say like, what's happening today and what's your current problem. I ask like, how's your sleep? What's your diet? Like, what's your exercise? What's your stress? You know? And if they're coming with like one symptom, I don't just say like, let's talk about that. I'm like, okay, tell me how often are you pooping? Yeah. Tell me what's your period? Like I, I go into everything and it's not, sometimes people like think, man, why is she asking all these <laughs> questions? And then at the end I'll say certain things. And it's just these light bulb moments, right. For them where they just realize, oh, this is all connected. Yeah. And I think like you're saying there, we're not educated in that way, even in, you know, as children, we're not educated to look at, okay, the, how does everything work together? We're looked at, okay, what's the symptom? Let's address the symptom and really yeah. not dig much deeper. So it makes sense as to why people are shocked potentially that you're asking mm -hmm. all the questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So when we, I want to jump into like what you mean, I think like everyone, I think it's a big thing lately, like women's hormones, um, you know, and so when you look at women's hormones specifically, uh, I'm curious, like, what is your approach to actually 
educating women on, on that perspective? Yeah. So I think that we need to be empowered as women to like pay attention to what's happening with our hormones and cycles. It's not something to be like ashamed of or not talk about, which is, I think very much how it's been in the past. And even the way we're educated, like you say, as kids, we weren't really educated. Like it was kind of like, you can get pregnant anytime. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> you know, that's not the reality. Right. Yeah. So understanding what's happening in our cycle. And one thing I love getting women to do is just cycle tracking, right? Like you can get an app and track, not just like, when is your period happening? Or if you have um, cramps, like track things, like what's happening with your skin. Are you feeling bloated? Are you getting any changes in your bowel movements? Um, How's your mood? Like all of these things that sometimes people think there's something wrong and then they realize, Hey, that happens the exact same time always in my cycle. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's just part of my cycle or maybe it's a concerning thing. Right. So, and then, so it's talking to the right person that understands what's happening. Right. So there are people that are going to be more um, knowledgeable in hormones than others. Mm -hmm. And one thing is like a lot of the people I, I work with will go to their doctor, nurse practitioner. and want to get their hormones tested. And lots of practitioners will just be like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't think that's going to be beneficial. Wow. But a lot of the time it's because the practitioner doesn't know what to do with those results. Right. So it's like, that's the way we've kind of been trained in our medical system. Like, yes, maybe they're thinking if it's to do with fertility or if it's to do with, um, you know, there are certain situations where maybe they'll say, yeah, like, let's do some blood work. But a lot of the time it's, oh, we don't really need to do that. Or I'm not really sure what we do with that information. Anyways, how about we try birth control pill? Like (laughs) that's not really, that's that's not really an answer, right? But it happens a lot or, oh, you've got heavy periods. Okay. Well, why don't we just, yeah. Birth control, um, an IUD like, and yes, these things serve their purpose and Mm -hmm. you know, it's a personal decision and it's wonderful that we have these options as women, but it's not the only answer. But our, our traditional healthcare system doesn't lead us to get a lot more answers. So I do like doing blood work for women to get a baseline, but we have to realize that's a snapshot in time. So you can't just do that anytime in your cycle. And you have to, you know, for instance, where I most often will try and do like estrogen and progesterone, that's in your mid luteal phase. So that's about five to seven days after you ovulate for women with like that traditional 28 day cycle, that's day 19 to 21, but not everybody has a 28 day cycle. Yeah. And that's okay too, but you got to know that. Right. So that's where estrogen and progesterone peak. But for instance, some people will go get their progesterone and estrogen, estrogen check, just whatever day. And if you do that in the first half of your cycle, when you haven't ovulated, your estrogen is going to be near nothing. And it's supposed to be right. you could look at that on your blood work and be like, Oh my God, I have no progesterone. Like something's wrong with me. Right. So it's, it's having that understanding and picking the right times for getting your labs done. And then beyond that, the test that I really like is called a Dutch test and that stands for, yeah, Dutch, not like, not like Europe, but, um, (laughs) dried, (laughs) dried urinary testing for comprehensive hormones is what it stands for. And it is, so insightful. Like I, it's a test that I like to do for myself every year, um, to get like a good understanding of what my hormones are looking like. So it gives a breakdown of your sex hormones, but also your adrenal hormones. 
So your cortisol, oh, that's your DHEA. So yeah. So it tells us about what our stress picture looks like as well. And then it tells us not only about like, what does our estrogen and progesterone look like? It also tells us how we're breaking it down and clearing it out of our body. So for wow. lots of women, they may have, like, you can hear the term estrogen dominance, right? Right. And so maybe they have too much estrogen or maybe their estrogen levels aren't that bad, but they're just not clearing it out of their system properly. So we have different ways. There's three different pathways that we can use to clear it out. So if you're using the healthiest pathway, then, you know, things are often looking pretty good, but some women can use more of a proliferative pathway. And that leads to things like, you know, breast tenderness, fibroids, adenomyosis, like proliferation and growth. So there's so many things that we can gain from like, you know, this additional testing, which of course, when we talked about limitations, that's something that is not offered through our healthcare system. They've never even heard of it. Yeah. And it's not something that you can just go to your doctor and say, can I get this done? Because number one, they don't offer it. And number two, if you do bring it to your doctor or nurse practitioner, most all of them are going to not have a clue how to interpret the results. Again, no fault of their own. It's just like no training in it. Right. Like I've done all the advanced courses to learn about this. Yeah. And it's really quite empowering for women to learn these things because Once you know that and you work with a practitioner that knows how to address the issues, you can make so much change and progress with your hormones. It's not easy work, right? You have to put in the work Mm -hmm. and that's something where, you know, if, if you're the type of person that is okay with putting in some work, then that's perfect for you. But it's not like, let's do the test and you get an answer and you're fixed. Right. right? Which I think a lot of people probably. I don't know if it's that they want a magic pill to fix things, but they are probably trained that way in the healthcare system that you just take exactly. a pill. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We're not used to having to put the work and effort in, but that's essentially, if you can do that, then you can get a lot more benefit, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're doing the work, you're, you're likely living a healthier lifestyle. That's going to help not only your hormones, but everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is the hardest part for most people in society. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Is finding that balance of health. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm curious, you know, you have all this advanced training. So if people were to go and get these testing, like are there functional medicine practitioners all over the place or, you know, how do they find people like yourself? Yeah, there. So it's becoming more common. Um, I did my training through Institute for Functional Medicine. Um, And so you can search their website for practitioners if but for instance, like I did my training through them, but I don't pay their annual fee to get my name on their website. Right. Right. So, um, sometimes it is just, you know, hopefully more and more with like technology. It's nice. Cause yeah. if you do a Google search, you can kind of come up with, you know, who is the functionally functional medicine trained practitioner, but it is still hard to find because it's, it's, um, kind of an, a newer concept, but at the same time, when I think of it, so many of the things that I've learned are like going back to basics, right? It's like, we're actually just looking at the pathophysiology of the body. Right. So <laughs> it's, it's not something like new and profound. It's no, no. I mean, and I was thinking like for myself, I'll explain, like I am struggling with infertility. And so like, I go to my doctor, mm-hmm. I get him went to a naturopath, but I never was ever 
educated on saying, maybe you should find someone who has functional medicine training, you know? So I feel like even there's a limitation in that of like people not even understanding what the resources are that people need. Yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah. I'm sorry to hear you going through that. Oh, like that's, yeah, that's the whole thing, right? Like, I think that's where we do here. Yeah. Like there's naturopaths and, and they're, they're great resource physicians, medical, you know, it, there's all sorts of resources, but mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes you just, there's more, more things yeah. to tap into. And, and I think it's easy for me to forget that sometimes that people don't know what functional medicine is because you know how your algorithms work in, for instance, yes. like Facebook and Instagram, it's all that I see. Yeah, but that's true. <laughs> that's true. So I'm like, oh, everybody knows this. Everybody knows about <laughs> hormones. Everybody knows about gut health and how it impacts everything. But it's, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I feel like you know, doing having you on a, a podcast, and I think in general, like this is so helpful for so many women that listen to this. Um, I'm curious in regards to let's say regulated hormones. That might be very generic for you. Um, what do you feel like is the biggest limitation or barrier for women in themselves? Like, is it diet? Is it sleep? Is it stress? Like, is there any commonality that you find? Um, that impacts their hormones? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's hard because it is quite an individual mm -hmm. thing. I mean, stress is definitely such a huge thing. Yeah. Um, and I always tell people like stress does not have to be just your mental stress levels, right? Mm -hmm. There's stress that's happening in your body. So for instance, if you have a gut infection or, you know, something like that, I like to use that as an example, because I see that often. So if you have some sort of gut infection, um, or your, you know, your gut health, like to kind of put it simply is not at its best, your body interprets that as stress. And so then you create more cortisol mm. or maybe you get it to a point where you're just like, I'm not going to even create cortisol. Cause I'm just going to be like crashing here, mm -hmm. but your body doesn't know whether it's a gut infection, if you're stressed because of work or you're being chased by a tiger, right? Your body is responding in a, right. in a stressful state. Right. Mm. So then what your body decides to do is like put, we actually, there's like a term called, um, the progesterone steel. So basically it's like a hormone cascade. And when you get to, it's like, I think of it as choose your own adventure. <laughs> so you get to a point in your hormone cascade where it can be like, am I going to make progesterone or am I going to go to cortisol? Oh, wow. So it's like, okay, let's, let's see if I'm stressed, I'm going to go to cortisol and then I'm not going to have as good of progesterone levels. And you need a balance of your progesterone and estrogen, right? So mm -hmm. if your progesterone is very low, even if your estrogen is normal, you're going to feel the effects of the estrogen. So things like cramps, heavy periods, um, irritable mood and poor sleep, right? So that's the time, like lots of women will feel increased stress, the low progesterone. Those are like a definite mix for poor sleep oh. that kind of waking up in the night, they just can't get a good sleep. Right. So there's stress, I would say is a big, huge one. And it's really looking at stress as broad as we can. And so yeah. I try to think about what can you do to take the physical stresses off your body? Um, so that goes to like making sure you're getting good, healthy nutrients in. Um, so definitely enough protein, um, not staying, like not avoiding fat. You know, we used to do that all the time, yeah. no fat, but we need good, healthy fat because our hormones are derived from fat. Mm. 
So that's super important. And then also fiber, right? Because we need, that's another thing. We need to be pooping at least every day. Right. And some women do not do that. Wow. And so if you're not doing that every day, that's how you, one of your methods for clearing estrogen out of your body. Right. Okay. And other toxins. So we need to be able, if you work on, you know, some people be like, I'm going to work on my liver health. I'm going to do a detox. If they're not pooping every day, they're just like creating all sorts of problems because you're working on like improving their liver function. And then all of a sudden it's just all sitting in their body. Yeah. Where's it going? Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So there's so many different working pieces to consider. So I would say, you know, even though, like I said, stress is a big thing, but then it kind of plays back into the rest. Right. Right. And obviously we can't take away stress. Mm -hmm. It's just, well, you know, like Mm -hmm. this is a a big part of your work, right? Mm -hmm. Like managing stress, right. Figuring out what you can do to, to deal with that kind of basket of burdens, so to speak. Right. And I think too, yeah. In regards to stress, it's, it's a matter of, okay, am I actually not taking care of myself on a daily consistent basis? And so that when I get completely stressed out, I can't do anything versus like, are you taking your vitamins every day? Like that's a vital part or are your supplements, whatever you have to take or eating properly. Like all of that stuff is part of you combating stress because we all have stress, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. And I also want to ask one more thing, just because it's part of the work that I do and the women that I listen to my stuff is around like dieting women, you know, shrinking their bodies and, and mm-hmm. like going on these really restrictive diets. Um, I guess, what is the impact on their hormones in regards to going down that avenue? Yeah. So it is a really risky thing, right? Because as you know, if you're not giving your body enough nutrients, enough calories, you can end up getting to the point where you just don't get a period. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you, it's basically like your body saying like, this is not a safe place mm-hmm. to procreate right so ovulation will shut down and so then yeah things can end up very off so for instance like a lot of the time if you are having calorie significant calorie restriction lots of weight loss um yes that's again your body like under stress Mm -hmm. but also you're likely not having those good healthy fats that you need for creating good healthy hormones right right so that's where i'm sure you can kind of speak to that. Like, you know, for instance, when you're doing like bodybuilding competition or something, lots of women or like a marathon training, like intense stuff like that, lots of women will lose their period. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can feel like, Oh yeah, I don't get a period. Yeah. Like this is great. Right. But that's like your report card. Yeah. Your, your monthly report card is like, what's your period? Like, so, um, it is, it is really important to, to get a period as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. I can sometimes. Yeah. I think like you're saying like years ago when I did compete there, there was times when I would not get my period. And yeah, I was like, Oh my gosh. And then someone's like, that's not really a a good thing. But I feel like, you know, when we're so driven on an outcome or, Mm -hmm. you know, a goal or, or shrinking our body, it becomes so clouded and what is important. Um, and I, I am definitely firsthand, you know, proof that I took a lot of work to get back from that part of my life, um, mm-hmm. and how damaging it generally was on so many things inside of my body and how I generally was struggling the most when I was competing. So I can speak to how damaging it can be for a, a woman for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I guess the, the next question I have is like moving from, um, I guess we're not really moving anywhere, but from to the gut, I think there's so much lingo and wording around there for like the gut and the mind connection and all this stuff. Um, and I really want to dig into this one. And I think I'm just really excited about this topic because there's so many people just talk about like gut and mind health and, you know, gut health in general, but they don't really know what that means. I don't think myself included. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's, that is something like I'm super passionate about is gut health because the way I think of it is this is like, the hub of everything else that happens in our body. So when you talk about gut brain connection, for instance, like about 80 to 90% of our serotonin is made in our gut, mm. right? So, um, when I think of gut health, I think about you've got good and bad bacteria and you want to have a balance, right? So when we do things like take antibiotics, for instance, which, which is quite common, right? That kills off the bad bacteria, but it also kills off the good. And the good is really a strong part of our immune system, our overall health. So we really need to try and keep that balance. So that's where you hear people taking probiotics and using like, you know, fermented foods and stuff like that, which is great, but you also need to feed the good bacteria. So prebiotic fibers. So, you know, the different fibers we have in food, um, and, and avoiding things like, you know, refined sugars and that sort of stuff that can tend to feed the bad bacteria, like the bad bugs more so. Mm -hmm. And so when we have an imbalance, if there's too much bad bacteria, um, we can end up with like things like bloating, constipation, or diarrhea. Like it can go either way, depending kind of what our digestive ability is. But the way I think of it is like, you know, your digestion starts in your mouth. So you have some food, you eat it, you got to first off, try and sit, have some deep breaths before you start eating, mm. chew thoroughly. That's going to allow, you know, for that initial part of your digestion to start properly. If you're in a hurry, your brain is not in a state to be digesting, right? Mm. So if you're like fight or flight, your priority is not digestion. So that's why I say like, sit, be calm and don't drink a pile of water before you eat either. Some people do that because they think then I won't eat as much, right. but it also will dilute your digestive secretions and then you can get more of that bloat happening. Okay. So your digestion starts in your mouth. Then, you know, you swallow, goes through your esophagus. It gets into your stomach. You should have enough stomach acid to break down your food. Some people take stomach acid reducing medications, which I what? won't I even like, well, like proton pump inhibitors. So things like oh, omeprazole. Okay. Um, Rebeprazole, Nexium, like stuff like that. I don't even get me started on that because <laughs> they, <laughs> they serve a purpose sometimes for very short term for most people. There's very few situations where you should be taking it long term, but um, there's a lot of risks associated with taking them. Right. You need stomach acid to break down your food, right? So some people, I just give that as an example because it's very common and lots of people aren't told about the risks of taking something like that. It's not only risk for your digestion. There's also risks for like your heart, your kidneys, your brain. Um, that's why I say it's very complex. We could talk, yeah. like, talk all day about that, <laughs> but <laughs> you need enough stomach acid to start breaking down your food. Lots of people actually think that they have lots of stomach acid and they're getting reflux or something, but sometimes it's just stomach acid. It's not in the right place. Oh, so you need the stomach acid 
to be able to break down your food. If you don't have enough of that, what sometimes happens is then the food is not broken down as well as it should. And then it gets into the small intestine. And I like to picture it like, okay, you've got larger food particles. Your small intestine is like, what the heck? Like, this is too much for me. Right. And so it kind of sits there and starts fermenting. And then you get bloating and you get increased bacterial growth, right? So the bad bacteria can grow and things just don't flow through as well as they should. If you don't have enough stomach acid, then sometimes you end up with, you don't put out enough bile acid because it's like a cascade of events. Your stomach acid comes, that triggers bile acid from your gallbladder, triggers your pancreas to put out digestive enzymes. So when you hear people taking, like some people take digestive enzymes or like mm-hmm. the most common one would be like lactate for people that have um, lactose intolerance, right? Yep. So some people, they just, their, their pancreas, gallbladder, stomach acid, that's just not in a good place. So then you're, you're kind of already in a troublesome state to try and break down your food right. and you're at risk for more infection. Wow. So then it's also like, if you've got more bad bacteria, you can end up with more problems actually, even with your estrogen levels. Oh my gosh. It's <laughs> so all coming certain, together for me. <laughs> I know. So there's certain bacteria that actually produce, I'm getting kind of sciencey here, but it produces beta glucuronidase, which is an enzyme that basically, this is another visual for you. It's like how I was talking about clearing out your estrogen in your poop. So it's like, you know, kind of goes through the whole detoxification process in your body. I picture it like it's all ready to go out. It's like your body wraps it up in a little package, puts a bow on it. And then beta glucuronidase that is produced by this overgrowth of bad bacteria. Um, it comes in and it's like scissors and it snips off the bow and it opens the box and your estrogen just comes back out and just circulates. So it's stuck. It's stuck there. Yeah. So that's like a big correlation between gut health and hormones. Right. But then if we get even further into the digestion, like, you know, I was saying your small intestine, then obviously things have to go through your large intestine. Um, but basically you have really thin mucosal layer of your intestinal tract. So with stress that can get thinned out with eating foods that your body doesn't like that can get irritated. If you're, um, taking certain medications or if the bacteria is out of balance, that lining can thin out and it even can get little holes in it, like just little tiny microscopic holes. Right. Right. But then these little microscopic things from our food, little microscopic proteins get through into your bloodstream. And then your body is like, Hey, that's not supposed to be here. Right. And it flags it. And it's like, we're going to start attacking this. It's not supposed to be here. And that's where people start experiencing food sensitivities. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's things like, you know, that could be, you know, maybe you get diarrhea, maybe you get a headache, maybe you get joint pain. There's so many different things, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's like acne. Um, you know, so, so many different things that can come from food sensitivities. Um, but we need to correct like the actual gut health to fix that. And that's why I'm not like a huge fan of doing food sensitivity tests because a lot of the time when we do it, there's certain situations where I'll do it, but a lot of the time when we do it, if you have that increased gut permeability, you know, like those little microscopic holes that things are sneaking through. Yeah. It's like the foods that you're eating the most often that are going to show as elevated on your. Oh my gosh. This is so biased. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it can be insightful, but a lot of the time it's just people that are having gut issues. They get this test back and they're like, oh my God, I can't eat anything. Right. So it doesn't really solve the problem because if you take away those foods, like you need food, you need to actually heal. Like that's where that, okay, that's the downstream effect. What do we need to correct with the microbiome? Is there infection there? So the test I actually like doing is called a GI map test. Okay. It's a comprehensive stool analysis. So it's like a poop test, right? It's kind of gross. I did those as a kid. I feel for something. Digging in my poop. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So it's, this test is like way beyond more comprehensive than like what we would get from our standard labs. So it's a PCR like DNA test that, so it gives us a breakdown of the different good bacteria you have in your system, the bad bacteria, if you have any infections. So some people might have candida, they might have a parasite, they might have H. pylori, um, and it's very sensitive. So for instance, with H. pylori, sometimes you can even go for an endoscopy, like a scope mm-hmm. and you get the samples taken. And if they take the sample from the wrong spot, it can show as negative. Right. So what's kind of cool about the GI map is like, you can have H. pylori and it tests that in your stool as how many, um, cells per gram of stool is their H pylori. So, you know, it's very insightful. It gives us an actual number. Right. And then it tells us also those things, like I was talking about the bile acid ability. So your gallbladder, um, it tells us about your pancreatic ability to put out digestive enzymes. So these are things that we can't really see on blood tests. Right. Um, and, and then it just, it even measures that beta glucuronidase, that nasty one that opens up the estrogen box and like lets everything free float again. Pandora's box. Yes. So I think doing something like that to help really is insightful rather than doing something like a food sensitivity test. And a lot of the time, sometimes women want to do go straight for the hormones. And sometimes Mm -hmm. after talking to them, I'll be like, you know what? I really think we need to work on your gut health first, because if we don't correct the gut health and those like that autoimmune system activation, if we don't correct that, it's really hard to correct the hormones. Right. 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 Because even how I was saying, if your body is stressed, if you don't correct that stress, it's so hard for your hormones to balance. Or for instance, if you've got that high beta glucuronidase level, it's really hard to correct the estrogens if you're not fixing what's going on in the gut. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're saying, like, let's get to the root of the issue versus trying to just, you know, map out what's happening on the surface, which sounds like, I mean, it's all, it's all making sense to me. Um, yeah. I mean, I also have a nursing background, so I feel like, yeah, I was going to say, sometimes we get, sometimes I get a little nerdy. I like getting nerdy. I'm more like nerdy and like the brain and trauma and stuff, but I love nerdy stuff in general. And I'm, and people actually, every time I do nerdy stuff, they also go, I love that stuff. So I'm sure people are fine. Yeah. No, they're probably Googling stuff, which I will be doing as well after this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you in regards to like, you're talking about a lot of like periods, hormones, things like that. Um, I'm curious if, uh, in regards to like shifting into menopause, um, and if you know any information, well, you probably do about Mm -hmm. how that plays out in regards to like the gut and the hormones and all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, menopause is such a big, like turning point in a woman's life. But perimenopause 
goes on for a long time before you get to menopause, right? Like so many people just think it's going to be like, I get my period now and then I don't get my period anymore and I get some hot flashes, but like, it's usually 10 years of shifting. Like, you know, you hear a lot of the women as they kind of get into that perimenopause phase in their forties, how many women do you hear of all of a sudden they're having these crazy heavy periods, they're going and getting a hysterectomy done, right? Like, so that's where often it's the imbalance. Like you think you're making less estrogen as you get close to menopause, but we get surges of estrogen. Mm -hmm. So that like increase in estrogen level then sometimes can cause these different things. So maybe fibroids, adenomyosis, like, you know, different things going on. Endometriosis. That's another thing kind of all, 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 I mean, there's so many different things that can be happening, right. But, um, it definitely is a big shift. Right. And we really need to, um, I always encourage women to make sure that they're again, paying attention to their adrenal health and their stress levels, because as we transition towards menopause, after you stop ovulating your sex hormones that you are going to have still in existence are going to come from your adrenal glands primarily. Mm. So lots of women, you know, they just think, okay, there's no more estrogen, right? Like no more progesterone, but you, you have a small amount of that. And like testosterone, about 25% comes from your adrenals. So you really want to foster that, right? Right. If your adrenals are shot and you're super stressed out, your testosterone production is likely going to be on the floor, Yeah, but you want to have that after menopause. You want that because it helps with energy, libido, um, your bone density. And even when I was talking about that hormone cascade before testosterone actually converts into estrogen. Oh yeah. Okay. We want that. We want to keep that. We want it. So, um, yeah, to kind of put it basically, like those are some of the things I think about. I also really put a good emphasis on making sure that your insulin is in check, like your blood sugar balance, right? Mm-hmm. Not taking insulin. Like I'm not saying like someone that has diabetes, right? I'm saying just eating in a healthy way so that your blood sugar is balanced, not having ups and downs a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and even doing the things to promote having your muscle mass, right? Because again, that's super protective Mm -hmm. after menopause. And we know as we age, we, we lose muscle, Mm -hmm. right. And it's harder to maintain. We do have to put that work in. So doing some sort of resistance training, making sure you're getting adequate protein. Like that's where I almost always see women struggling. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, it's so easy to go and grab the quick something, which is almost always going to be something like that's carbohydrates. And then you're really missing the the protein that we need to feel, feel satiated and to, um, have that muscle. Right. I always think too, like we can store carbohydrates, we can store fat, but we can't store protein. Right. So lots of people Um, don't think about that. And I like, the question is, you know, when you're talking about protein, sounds like if people are listening, you know, what does it look like for people to have enough protein? Because they're a basic thing that people can follow. Yeah. I try to say aim for 30 grams with each meal Mm -hmm. because then at least you can kind of make sure that you're like how I said, you can't store it up. So you don't want to just like wait and okay, I'll have lots at supper. No, try and split it up through the day. Um, but I mean, the thing is, is our recommended daily amount for how much like the, I don't know, the, food and nutrition food, yeah. <laughs> like whatever I they 
like what the government suggests basically yeah. is like so minimal. It's like, I think 0.7 grams per kilogram or something. Like it's really what? low. It's super low. It's low. like enough to sustain a person, not enough to be like Build. thriving. Right. Yeah. So I usually am saying like minimum a hundred grams a day, mm -hmm. like definitely if you're active more like 150, like definitely we want to put more emphasis on that. And I know I have to work at it. Mm -hmm. I have to pay attention. Like if I don't pay attention, it's super easy to skimp out on that. Yeah. Like even for like myself, obviously I, I am aware of like protein I'm taking is just yeah. part of my life. Um, but even like, you know, like having eggs, I'm like adding a bit of egg whites so I can get more protein, like things like that, where I'm like, I need, especially yeah. now that, you know, we're almost 40, um, yeah. you know, thinking about those things more consistently and consciously, I guess. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And eggs that is, it is interesting because they're great. It's a great way to get protein. But like you say, you don't, people think like, Oh, I'll just have one hard boiled egg. Like yeah. that's, that's still not enough. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Or put some meat or if you eat meat, you know, put something else in with them. Um, yes. yeah, for sure. Um, and so, okay. So the perimenopause, I, this is really in interesting for me is like, okay, so that's the period that people aren't talking about really. It's like, we think about you know, we're having a period, we don't have a period and that's our life. Um, is there any sort of thoughts around how women can sort of go through that big transitional period of their lives? I guess not the word gracefully, but, uh, effectively and more healthy. I think it's really like trying to take action on your overall health and your hormones, like yeah. as soon as possible, like the tendency is we wait until something is going wrong before mm -hmm. we try to fix or like put effort into something I think it's really important you know pay attention and that's where it is like it's kind of helpful helpful again to do that cycle tracking people sometimes it can be like maybe they start noticing their cycle that was super regular starts becoming longer or becomes shorter he like the flow changes right different things like that and I think sometimes if you start noticing those subtle changes it can even be a reminder to yourself like okay I have to make sure I you know, do these things to take care of myself, to take mm -hmm. care of my stress level, to fuel my body properly, um, get enough sleep, you know? And I know that that's something that lots of people struggle with, whether it yeah. be because, you know, there's so many different reasons, Yeah, but sometimes it's just not being prioritized either. And, mm -hmm. but then there's the flip side where it's like just a struggle. People prioritize it, but they just struggle. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah. sleep is something I deal with with my clients as well all the time. And I always say like, same thing with if your mental health is struggling, like let's go back to the basics. What are you eating? What is your, like, there's so many connections yeah. through all of it. Um, and I always said like, sleep is so important for, you know, I say this to my, my kid, she's almost 10. And I'll say like, you know, for her, like emotional regulation is so important for her. And if she doesn't get enough sleep, like your brain just doesn't have, doesn't have the capacity, you know, and then yeah. you're going to want to eat refined sugars. Like there's so many things that are connected to you not having enough sleep. So I, I echo that a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious, like you, you, you know, have some expertise in regards to like self-care in general and nutrition in general. Um, and I'm curious, like, what is your approach to nutrition, um, as a whole, I guess? Yeah. So I try to make sure, um, I, I think about it. Actually, I was just talking to someone about this this morning. <laughs> I don't like the idea of doing, I went through a period thinking about fasting, you know, cause there's all the rage of fasting, yeah. but I think for women, especially in your like hormonal pre-menopause years, we have so many fluctuations. We really need to pay attention to the way we're fueling our body. And I, 
from what I've seen and the women I've worked with, I find making sure that you're having that balance. So having protein, um, healthy fat, some complex carbohydrate fiber, having those things in each of your meals is really important and having like enough of a meal, right? So especially breakfast, um, then if that can sustain you till lunch, or if you need a something in the middle, that's okay. Um, and then usually I find most of the time you need a snack in the afternoon because you're going from maybe noon to like six. Right. right. And then I try to say, you know, stop eating after supper because the thing is, is you usually will sleep better. If your body's not busy digesting food, mm-hmm. your blood sugar is less likely to spike during the night. If your blood sugar spikes during the night, it produces a bit of cortisol that can wake you up. So trying to avoid that. Um, so that's kind of my general approach. I, I don't like, I'm not a strong proponent for obviously people make their choices if they want to do plant-based and stuff like that. But I, I do like having some animal source, um, protein for Mm -hmm. me and my diet. And I find for most women hormonally, it does seem to make a difference. It's really hard to do a full plant-based diet in a way that's covering all your bases and making sure that you're getting the protein that you Mm -hmm. need and having the blood sugar balance that you need. It's just, it's hard enough as it is. So if you add that extra component, I mean, there are women that do it, but it is a lot harder. Yeah. And as I say, like there, there are people who do it, but I think it just takes a lot more um, conscious effort. Like there's a lot more preparation and planning, which I think if we're speaking about stress level and being able to sustain things, that's my big thing is like, can you sustain the practices that you have in your life? Right. Then it, you know, obviously some people do it, but it's not for everyone. That's right. And then the other thing that I think is super important, I kind of spoke to this when I said breakfast, but making sure that you're eating during the day, because lots of people just get go, go, go. And they don't eat during the day. And they're like busy. So they don't realize they're hungry. Then they get to the evening and they're just ravenous. Yeah. And that's not a good way to fuel your body just to eat everything all like in the (laughs) evening. Right. And then, yeah, usually it impacts our sleep, right? Right. Because our body is so busy trying to digest everything we just ate. And then you're not going to make the good smart food choices. Like you said, you know, when you're not getting good sleep, then you're going to make the, you know, sugar choices, the same thing as like, yeah, I know yesterday for me, I had to wait for my son to pick him up. I was leaving work, waiting to pick him up, went to get groceries. And it was like, oh, I could have bought all the like junk food. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Cause you're, you're like, okay, I I haven't eaten and it's, I'm eating supper late now. So yeah. I know there's time with properly fueling during the day. Right. Right. I couldn't imagine not having breakfast or not eating during the day. Like I just, when people say that they don't, I just, even my, my husband did a fasting, like intermittent fasting period. And I'm like, I just don't understand like psychologically how you can't eat when you wake up. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it's different for everyone, but what works for you, um, which yeah. is interesting. Cause I was going to say, I heard from, this is a while ago that, you know, people are actually saying to eat carbohydrates before bed because it actually helps you sleep better. So it's interesting to hear the perspective of like the digestion, which makes sense. Yeah. It's, there's so many different theories. Right. And I think that's the thing is like, it's not cookie cutter. That's why I like functional medicine too, is because everybody's different and it's, I make approaches that are specific to the individual. Right. Right. So some people may be able to do that, 
but some people they're going to have carbohydrate and then they're going to have a blood sugar up and then they're going to crash and right. that's not good. Right. So right. every, everybody is so different. And, yeah. That's yeah. fair. That's really fair. It's individualistic. Um, okay. So I'm curious, like if you could say one tidbit of information that you want, or if something I didn't even ask you about that you want to share with the listeners, um, what would that be? Put you on oh, the spot. I always put people on yeah. the spot. <laughs> well, I think a big thing is if you feel like something's not right in your body, don't just take the everything's normal as like the answer that you get. You do really have to advocate for your own health mm -hmm. and you can't always just put all your trust into one person. Also, sometimes, you know, people put all their trust into being referred to a specialist and they think they're going to get all the answers. But again, if anybody is listening that has gone to see a specialist, specialist they know they usually spend about five minutes in the office with you and then you're done, mm -hmm. right? Like they're, they're busy people and they're not going to get the, the whole picture. And, um, sometimes you really do have to work and like try different people. And sometimes it's like getting over that mentality of like having to pay out of pocket for yeah. some of these services if you want to get the answers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, um, which can be frustrating and some people can't, you know, put out the money for it, but then it's like changing that mindset. Okay. Well, what else am I spending money on that? Maybe I can shift a little bit here. Like where are your priorities? Right. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just so important that if you feel like something is not right in your body that you do push to try and find the answers. Cause sometimes it's not always the most obvious thing, or maybe it's just, you need a different set of eyes looking at those labs. Maybe it's a different test. Maybe it's just someone that's actually going to listen and work through all of your concerns mm -hmm. and may be able to pick out things like, you know, sometimes it's as simple, like how we said, simple as like getting enough sleep. And sometimes people just don't realize, right. Yeah. They need someone to pick apart everything <laughs> that they're doing. And, and, and also sticking with some, if you do find someone that you work well with, stick with them. Like it isn't just going to be like one visit and you're fixed. It's like, right one visit to get to know you. And mm -hmm. then as you work through your different, you know, if you've got different protocols that you're doing to improve your health, mm -hmm. it takes time, right? Like we've been, our health, you know, can be unraveling for a number of years before mm -hmm. we get to our breaking point. And it's not going to be something that can be just snap of the fingers and it's fixed. Right. Right. So it's super hard to be patient, but yeah. And I always say to people too, like, you know, I think it goes hand in hand with this example is like, yeah, you're saying for years you've been living underlying with all of these issues or things that you maybe didn't even know when they actually started. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take the opposite. It looks like having a baby, right? It takes nine months to have a baby and your body is going, I'm sure you can speak to this in another conversation is like all the hormones and stuff to come back to regulation after that. Yeah. It's not going to happen in a week, right? It's the same thing. It's, we have to remember it's not a quick fix. And I think that is generally the biggest struggle for people. And I think also, like you said, is having the mentality of investing in your health financially mm -hmm. and, and, you know, actually going, okay, I need to pay attention to this versus just going to the doctor and getting another medication prescription. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I really, I loved this conversation. I have written down so many notes as we've gone. Um, I'm curious, how can people find you? Um, so uh, if you want to check out, I have a website, functionalnp, as in nursepractitioner.ca. 
functionalnp.ca. And then I'm on Instagram, Megan Craker. It looks like Croker and maybe Alexa will just tag me or something. Yeah, so I'll that you can it. see it. Megan Cro- Croker or Megan Craker, um, functional NP. I hope I said that right. I always forget. Underscore. Um, I think it's an underscore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's an underscore. So, and I'll put um, it all in the description too. So, yeah, perfect. And um, I'm on Facebook too. I just kind of, you know, whatever shares to Instagram goes to Facebook. So yeah. that can be a way to contact me as well. Um, and also, I work with um, Jen Pike in the Hormone Project. So that's always a way to access services too. If you're looking for more of like a big hormone program, um, that's a great resource as well. But awesome. um, with my functional nurse practitioner services, anybody in Ontario is able to book, um, just licensing wise. That's mm-hmm. how I'm able to provide services. Um, and all my booking is online. So it's pretty simple, straightforward. And there's a link there through my website. And do they have to see you in person or can they do it all? No, it's virtual. Oh, that's, so that's, so nice. the, that's the lovely part about it is, you know, Ontario is so big and we can, mm-hmm. um, I can see people anywhere in Ontario and I find it works quite well. Like some people at first are kind of unsure about using it as a format, but when we're working through, especially gut health and hormones and that piece of things, like obviously there's some limitations to doing virtual, but so much of it is like a good conversation and working through different testing and stuff like that, that can give us such great answers. So mm-hmm. I love that. Really well, oh, go ahead. opens up a lot more doors, right? Because yeah. like you said, fun- finding a functional practitioner is not always super easy. Lots of people don't have anybody locally that offers the services. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really great. And I'm really excited that people can hear, and uh, I will definitely be sharing the message with myself. And I really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation. I just generally, there's so much value add to uh, whoever's listening to this and, and what they can take away from this in, in like so many stages of their life, you know, um, or yeah. even if like they're a parent and they're like having, okay, well, this is something we should educate our children on, you know, exactly. things like that. start, start young, right? Like mm-hmm. it is so important to know these things. Yeah. 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 Well, I appreciate you and and thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. Hello, lovely human. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Authentically You. It truly, it means a lot to have you here listening. And I hope you really took something away from this episode. If you are ever looking for more, check me out on Instagram. I am posting inspirational stuff there all the time. And if you ever want to dig deeper, please reach out to me as well. And let's have a chat about you doing some deeper one-on-one healing. Cause let me tell you that is when the true magic happens. Mm-hmm.